Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm your co-host, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Allie Martin. And today we talk to Sam Smith, CEO and founder of Vision. Not the singer. Yes, not the singer, Allie. <laughs> uh, but Vision is a app, when it originally started, as a color search engine app. So basically, this is a big point, Patrick, because it's it's been two different things, which is crazy. So this is yes. a good this is a good piece. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, Sam uh, started this pre COVID, and then she had to pivot, you know, because of COVID. So it started out focus on B, as, as a B two C play. Mm-hmm. People can download the app on their phone, take a picture, and then search the interwebs for you know images items based on color, but that takes a lot of capital and yeah. uh, <laughs> there's not much capital, you know, during a economic downturn like COVID. So she and her team pivoted to more of a B2B play where they're licensing the technology on businesses' websites. So people can individually search for colors on each of these businesses' websites and search based off color that way. So cool because you think like just the concept of color, right? There is a whole market about color, but color is everywhere in our lives. It's design is everywhere in our lives and it's so crucial and so important. And heck, think about how how stressful it can be just to pick what color you're going to paint your walls. I mean, hello. I mean, I barely know what color to, you know, what shirt I'm going to wear that day. Exactly. So, <laughs> so good, good thing she's coming up with ideas and technology and software to help streamline a little bit. And I think it's also going to be really interesting to get her perspective mm. on being a founder and a female in the tech space. Yes, and she is originally from the D.C. area, then moved down to Charlotte, and then, you know, she doesn't live in Cincinnati or have, you know, direct ties to Cincinnati other than the fact that she lived here for a short period of time when the company was going through the brandery. And so, Ali, I'm not sure if you know this, but, you know, Cincinnati and Charlotte have a little bit of a rivalry with the term <gasps> Queen City. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, do tell. You know, 1768... The city of Charlotte was founded by, you know, King George III, who was currently married at the time to, you know, Queen Charlotte. And so (laughs) that's how they lay, the city of Charlotte lays claim to being called the Queen City. Well, so they say. say. Well, in 1819, there was a newspaper article that refers to Cincinnati as Queen of the West. And then it was reinforced considerably. In 1854, when Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem, Catawba Wine, was published, and he refers to Cincinnati as Queen of the West. So I guess we will never really know who's the true Queen City. (laughs) But it really is. Like, that name, the Queen City of the West, really just kind of, like, symbolizes America's westward movement and that promise of Western expansion and civilization at the time, but Mm. really, and also innovation, right? It's, mm. it's a, we're a, a tipping your hat to the founders and it's kind of cool. Cause you could almost say that like Sam herself is a little bit of like queen city of the West mentality. Yes. Very hands on, get things done and yeah. innovate. And I'm really excited to get her perspective of how she's grown as a founder and developed. Yes. And moving into new spaces. 
Mm-hmm. Hence, westward expansion. And on that note, let's bring her in. Let's do it. So if you just want to go ahead and start and give us the history of Sam Smith. Oh my gosh, where do we begin? I was born on March 21st. <laughs> um, yeah, the history. So I, like, I guess going into startup ecosystem, I have a background in startups. I worked at a fintech when I had the idea for vision. So a totally different realm. Um, I had no experience technically in the home. I was the VP of customer experience at Virtual Strongbox. So it was definitely a shift. I was in the middle of my MBA at UNC Charlotte. I had four weeks until the next paycheck was due. And I was like, let's take this idea that I had and really go into the ecosystem and start pitching it and see if it has any type of legs. So for four weeks straight, um, and wait, I was- And this idea is? Vision. So it was a color search engine for home decor. My husband and I were searching for a specific color uh, bed to match some bar <laughs> cabinets that we saw. We were sitting at a bar when I had the idea for Vision. I, feel, is- I feel you so hard on that one. <laughs> yes. When you see something that you absolutely fall in love with, it's how do I get my hands on this and or replicate yes, it? Yes, that's, and that was what, and we jumped on Pinterest, I jumped on Google and I was like, how does this not exist yet? Because I constantly am looking within my color palette for something for my home. Yeah, I had the idea, pitched my husband first. He was hesitant. Uh, so pitched the ecosystem, <laughs> came back to my husband with like a game plan. I'm like, I promise this is going to so work, supportive. obviously. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. He got he got there. But like at first he was uh, extremely hesitant. Uh, this was not the life that I sold him. Uh, entrepreneurship is definitely <laughs> like uh, you're bringing it's the whole crew on board. Yeah. yeah so um, had to get his, his buy-in. Um, it definitely put us in a great position where we are today. So all things considered, definitely, definitely try entrepreneurship before you start your MBA. So um, yeah, so as far as background, started my company, got into the brandery in Cincinnati. So that's my Cincinnati tie. COVID hit and really rocked us extremely hard. So I had to put it back into a side hustle. Um, and Lowe's was once one of our customers. And when I sent out the notice of like, hey, we're putting vision, uh, we're pivoting, we're going to go B2B instead of B2C, which is a massive change, mm-hmm. but actually on the back end is not that crazy. It's more of just a business side flip more than a technology flip. I think my CTO would beg to differ. But we did that and Lowe's was like, come work at our innovations labs. Like you'll be a perfect fit because they needed someone to bring in an ecosystem vibe. I am very grounded in um, our ecosystem in Charlotte uh, and they wanted to expand their horizons and showcase how they might be able to support the entrepreneurial community. So yeah, so I'm at Lowe's Innovation Labs, but during the day, but at night, I am still working and we are uh, already have a beta up and running that we're starting to test for our B2B uh, version of Vision, which we're launching through Shopify just for ease. And then with the idea of expanding it outwards later on. Crazy life. I don't look tired, hopefully. (laughs) I have so many questions. (laughs) That was like a good, like high level overview. So what were you doing at a fintech startup? So how did you get involved with that? And and tell people what fintech is. Yeah. Okay. So financial technology. um, So supporting banks. We specifically focused on credit unions. But actually like this, everything always trails back to my husband. I entered this, the original startup because I needed something that would allow me to work remote. And uh, he had moved mm. to Kentucky. He was in the Navy and got his first job at Kellogg's making Pop-Tarts hey. um, in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. What town? Pikeville. If you've ever heard of Hillbilly Days, <laughs> that <laughs> is where. And the Hatfield and McCoys were in Pikeville, Kentucky. So a little tucky uh. history for you. So this startup said, hey, if you could replicate. I was working at Dell at the time, technologies. I was doing sales. And they're like, if you can replicate that sales process remotely for our startup, we will allow you to work remote. 
So that's what happened. That startup um, was acquired. They spun off a product and asked me to come along for the ride. So I went from a sales manager to a VP of customer experience. Fintechs are definitely different than what I uh, am working on. Um, There's a lot more as far as compliance. Um, The sales cycle is a lot longer. For me personally, I don't find them as sexy. (laughs) Like, but that's just a, like, there's some people who are like, oh yeah, fintechs, not me. That is not my passion. So yeah, I started something completely different with Vision. But you've always been on the tech side though. Yeah, like, well, all the startups that I've worked in have some sort of tech component. Yeah, and that was a B2B, um, but I personally do not have any coding experience. That startup allowed me, because I was there from the beginning of that product through launch, to see how one builds a a product like that. And it allowed me to understand how, once you get how things connect, it really is a lot more easy to chew. Attainable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, this isn't that Because I think sometimes it can be very (laughs) over our heads. Oh, yeah. It was my Elle Woods moment. What? Like, it's hard? Uh, Yeah, no. It was very, uh, (laughs) it was easy for me to understand how things started to piece together, how businesses um, connected. Yeah, I, I could visually... And I, in my job, I do that now. Everything is, it seems unattainable until you look under the hood and you're like, oh, this isn't that complicated. We need more this women is, to do this stuff because it's not that hard. <laughs> so. that's, well, that's a whole other topic of discussion. Yeah. So when you had this vision for vision, you said mm-hmm. you were in Charlotte, correct? Yes. Okay. So yes, you were at, you were like, I, I'm fi- I need to find this color. You probably did a deep dive into the web trying to find some sort of, you know, Way. software or app or something. What color was it? It was like a green. Uh, so it's the specific color is called succulent. <laughs> I, get, I get it. I painted my piano and it's Kilimanjaro green. There so you go. You yeah, gotta you get really creative. Know. Yeah, yeah, behind me is dovetail and sea salt. Whisper <laughs> white. There you go. Yes. So, sorry, <laughs> interrupted your thought. Yes, yeah, so di- we digress. So. How did you then, when you had this idea, you said, okay, there's a, here's a problem. I think we can find a solution for this. I know I'm not the only one. And what was your next step? Because you, like you said, you ended up at the brandery here in Cincinnati. Yeah. How, where was that connection? Man, uh, the brandery, that was like um, yeah. such a road because I actually got accepted to other accelerators and said no. And that was why I specifically selected the brandery because they are uh, more marketing focused. And that's definitely what I needed assistance with. My background was in a B2B sales position and marketing position. So I knew that I wanted to, <laughs> with the original iteration of Vision, go um, and, and promote to consumers. And I didn't have any experience doing that. Um, so Jeff and Jess, they understood what I was doing. I think that was a big component of why I was very interested in working with them um, because uh, a lot of the investors who I pitched to or accelerators, they did not really understand the problem or yeah, the vision for vision, (laughs) if you will. Um, It's a female oriented problem, I would say, unless you're dealing with uh, male fashion, then you'll start to understand like, okay, if I have a specific like shoe, I would like to match a shirt or like uh, men can get it more so in the fashion realm than with home because a lot of that is falls on, on usually uh, the woman. Which is very, ugh, I hate saying one of those stereotypical, things. right? Yeah. Cliche. So Man, were you, ugh. then were you putting out feelers? You had to have been. If you had this idea, you couldn't be the only one. How did you kind of gain some data and stats and foundation to say, okay, there's something here? Oh yeah. So I, um, other than pitching, so I went out every night and pitched into our ecosystem just to see. I did the basic amount of research. For Charlotte specifically, I looked at every single startup or business event that I could get my hands on 
just to start pitching the idea, seeing what, uh, how people would react to it, seeing if they were thinking of any questions or had any hesitations that I possibly wasn't considering. Uh, Vision was not my first business idea. I have this like knack of finding things that are annoying. I'll write a business plan. Um, and if I still find it interesting, then I'll, start, I'll pitch it to my husband. <laughs> who will instant- you. you like sit on it for a long time and you're like, I yeah. think it's time to who will instantly tear it to shreds. And he's like, <laughs> his instant reaction for any idea is, I don't like it. That's <laughs> you're like, I'm going to go talk to the neighbor. Yeah, he just, so, um, yeah. And I, I just went around and pitched it and um, yeah, it felt, it felt right. And then our next step when we started doing customer discovery was standing in a mall. So I had uh, my co-founders, we all stood in a mall and just like, we're like, hey, can you answer a few questions about color? Because uh, initially mm, it wasn't even necessarily just home. We were always considering fashion or home. And people just had a lot of instant, yeah, I couldn't find this for home. It was like 56% of people experienced issues finding something by color from home where it was only 33% for fashion. And the biggest use case for fashion was actually jeans. I don't know why that was like the biggest denim. thing that, oh. yeah. Like different like, shades of denim? Yeah, they're like, I, I have a specific shade of denim that I like. Uh, and that's, I, I don't know for why. overalls and I'm. I know, that's all right I want. Canadian tuxedo. Was, that's it. <laughs> yeah, we were like, man, the use cases just seem to be more apparent with home, uh, which is mm. why we leaned in there off the bat. But yeah, that was, that was our first few steps. And then we partnered with Pantone, Sherwin-Williams, Wow. Uh, a local color organization in Charlotte uh, called Color Solutions International. They actually create colors. Um, mm. So they every single color does have a specific identifier. For some reason, that data doesn't transcend all the way to the tail end where it's actually listed on websites. And then a big issue was images themselves. Like pe- there was a once the images were captured of the clothing or of the couches, it got to editing who mm. put more exposure on it, which innately changes the color. Yeah, I think this is actually really important <laughs> that we didn't hit at the top that we need to hit is explain the user experience of vision. Walk us yeah. through how it how it actually works. I'm going to walk through the current iteration because yeah, <laughs> yeah. we have gone through like a real big transition. And honestly, I have not talked about it. So you guys are like the first people who Ooh. are hearing about Vision 2.0. We're going to be like your husband, Sam, and be like, oh I know, God. tear it <laughs> apart. Uh, yeah. So right now, the way that we're, you're going to be able to do it, let's let's use like a random business, like Ruggable. Have you guys heard of Ruggable? They're yeah. Like, so what you would be able to do is I could take a picture of my wall pull the color, and then search across Ruggable to find rugs that have that color in it. So from the business perspective, it enables you to provide a better search experience for people who are determined to find a specific thing. But you also get personal analytics on how your shoppers are looking. So as you're looking for purchasing experiences, like, okay, what do we want to do next season? You can see what people are currently Mm -hmm. searching for on your website or the expectations they have when they come to you. So it. you're basically white labeling the technology that you've right. already developed and then yep. collecting the data and helping provide insights to the exactly. customers. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And we're the first um, and only doing it. There's a lot of ways in which you can go. Like we can provide computer vision options too. So if you wanted to actually search, if you had enough product SKUs where you're like, I want to limit it down to a specific style of like this type of shirt, we could use and enable computer vision as well for the search. So we're really enabling a search bar experience, which is what we were, but allowing businesses to do it. Even if you're beginning some sort of a design experience, whether it's a new home or, yep. you know, painting, and you have a Pinterest board, right? right? And you're like, I love yep. this rug or I exactly. love this chair. Where do I find it? Yep. 
And so you would then put it into vision. Exactly. And, and I think it's, it's, it takes it a step further than that. So let's say, I think one of the biggest things about big purchases that gives you like heartburn is um, how will this match everything else in my house? So Because you don't want to have to send it back. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's like, I think this is specifically like big for paint, rugs, like really big items or patterns that you're considering. And you're like, mm. okay, well, if I get this pattern, if I'm going to be like adventurous, <laughs> which yeah. I'm, I even I hesitate, but you dream. You're like, what if I could? get a headboard that has like yeah. all those really cool patterns. Like the inside is a great cheetah company, print. for example. Yeah. a cheetah, Yeah. Like there actually are some oh, prints that I'm interested in. <laughs> so not a bad idea, but like, how can I actually pull this together? What colors would work? So our technology has the ability to say, okay, if you're looking at that color, this is a palette that works with that. That's popular. Yeah. Um, or this is a monochromatic way of um, using it. Yeah. And then you can search for pillows, rugs, for everything that zero can complete. design, like an exactly. eye for design. Well, even <laughs> so, and even if you guy. do have an eye for design, like some yeah. people just want plain purple. Like my mom yeah. painted her bathroom purple. She wanted to find um, a rug that was purple and she literally couldn't find it anywhere. But you know that either Bed Bath & Beyond, Ruggable, someplace has it. You have websites or you have brand loyalty to places that you just wish you could be like, do they have that color? That's what we will enable. And eventually assist with different merchandising rules. So if you can complete the look. So if I do have a uh, rug that I'm considering, here are pillows, couch, everything within that palette that would match. So we're going to start using technology to enable the store to cross sell more efficiently. So you said COVID kind of, you know, obviously helped you guide you to this newer life. Oh, yeah. A lot of people were redoing their homes. So I guess like what exactly caused that pivot, I guess, from consumer to business? In March, we were closing our round. We had gotten to the point, we had commitments up to 750K, um, which was what we were trying to raise for our seed. Unfortunately, in the midst of actually getting everyone on the same terms, because uh, we changed some terms for one of our investors in that two-week period, COVID hit hard. This was post-brandery. We had just done our brandery tour. Um, we were just covered by Arc Digest. We had won a um, global pitch competition. Like mm -hmm. We were having a really good a uh, really good few <laughs> months and we were building momentum on our app. Like things were going really well. And then COVID hit and um, half of the investors pulled out and within a, like, I call it my hell week. It was either a pause or pull or they made us repitch. And mm. it just really shook us to the point where we were like, okay, we might not be able to rely on investors. We have to figure out a way to get and build momentum without capital which for a B2C brand, uh, you need a heavy amount of capital to get at least the ground game for marketing. Unfortunately, yeah. like we couldn't see a way around it through guerrilla marketing that would have gotten us to the point in which we would have been self-sufficient. And we had really big conversations with two um, very well-known home brands that, I mean, I don't mind saying it. We were talking with um, HGTV and we were wow. talking with Hearst, who owns House Beautiful and a few other magazine brands that are, and actually HGTV magazine. And we got to like the tail end with them in the fall and it fell apart because they said we were too early, which unfortunately, like they knew after, like we talked to them for about four to five months and they knew how early we were, were at the beginning, um, but it only takes like one person to hesitate within a group. Like you're obviously not there to know where it, it just kind of didn't come to fruition. And we just could not see a path forward in that B2C realm as far as financing, investment. We had the tech and my CTO said, like, we, we can take, if we stop now, we have enough capital where we can pivot, we can put this on Shopify and uh, we can sell it in a B2C capacity. And that's wow. exactly what we're doing. Your CTO sounds oh. brilliant. They're able to like, uh, click on that. He's amazing. <laughs> like, thank, like, we will, oh, it's unfortunate. That's not unfortunate. Like, you learn a lot. I have a 
blog post on it. But we had the conversation of, do we want to go direct to people through a mobile app or do we want to service businesses? And uh, obviously, like now in hindsight, it probably would have been better to do. I didn't think we could go B2B and then uh, uh, go outward B2C. Um, and that was the itch that I wanted to scratch. I wanted to be able to search across retailers for buy color. I didn't want to mm. go shop by shop by shop by shop as a person. And yeah, looking back, it probably would have been the smarter route to start B2B. And um, yeah, you live and you learn. I have a whole blog post on it. But yeah, we eventually have gotten here. And if we're able to accomplish uh, what I think we can, we, we will be in a very good position. We will have to link that in the show notes because I think- uh, Yes, have will. you read? I'm not sure if you've read it. I've, but like, re- I've read it. To me, it was a little, you know, a, a, you could feel your emotion. And thank you for that being, you know, vulnerable to, you know, I think- It was tough. You, but no, I have to give kudos to you because this is one of the hardest things you can do is start a business. Yeah. So um, oh I do appreciate Ugh. that you shared- those really raw emotions with the world. It was hard. I wasn't the only one dealing with it, obviously, during COVID. And I couldn't figure out how people would be able to communicate with me if they didn't really understand what happened. So I wanted to make sure that everyone, and I really didn't want to tell the story over and over again. Like when we were dealing with it, it was very hard to even talk about without crying. So like, it was just like one of those, I know, it's like one of those things that you're like, how do I get past? My, My identity is so linked with vision. And I couldn't figure out like who I was with, if, if I wasn't, if it wasn't going to work, who was I? And luckily, honestly, like I have to give a lot of credit to my CTO for being the person who pulled us through like what was the hardest period of my life. And he was like, we can make this happen. And it was his confidence that really like brought me back to who I am, which is someone who's like heads down, like I can do this. But I did have a moment of like, Ugh, oh shit. What were some, so you were saying that this is one of the hardest moments of your life. What were some of those big pain points for you that you had to get over? The pull from the investors was mentally like, that was just mental somersaults because you, my team was ready. And where, where were you, where was your head going to in that moment? Oh my God. Like, uh, mm, it was, um, I just hope other people don't ever have to experience that (laughs) to be honest. Mm. It was like, well, you have your whole team who are ready to, half of them were just part-time. So they were ready to quit their jobs because we had term sheets and everything. We had everything pulled up. We were just waiting on the money. And yeah, it was a lot of conversations of what are we going to do? We had to have tough conversations of like, when is when was a big early right away conversation of like, when, when do we say when? Because unfortunately with COVID, it's not just your investors pull. This is everyone's day jobs were being affected, their families, some of them were uh, dying. Uh, so you're like, it was, it was just a overall like, oh crap, what do we do? And then if no's were, like if we were getting no's before, we were getting them a lot quicker during COVID. Mm-hmm. So people, it became very apparent that the appetite for risk during a very risky time period definitely just plummeted. And we were technically one of those, like we wanted to do something really risky. What was it that kept you going? Well, my team, my CTO, this was, I had never, ever in my life experienced burnout. And I definitely experienced it for the first time where I had conversation with Jeff at the brandery too. And I was like, I just do not, this is the first time in my life. I don't see a path. And my CTO Mm -hmm. was like, I see a path. We can do this. And I had to take a good like few weeks and just be like, 
Mm. Like, uh, honestly, just push out the bad, start this new day job and feel like get money in the door. Like I hadn't been making a salary for a few years. Now I can dye my hair blonde again and I have new clothes <laughs> and my nails are done. I'm like, like honestly making money again too. That sounds terrible. But like being in a position where my husband and I could take a weekend away somewhere yeah, and just like breathe. recoup. Yeah. I, it took all of that to get back to where I was. But it was a good four months, four or five months where I was like, I'm not sure how I can juggle all of this and do all of this and mentally get pull myself back through. And like, yeah, we're luckily we're at that point, which is nice. It's yeah. just like a nice we've gone through the other side. Well, uh, and it sounds yeah. like your this, this your CTO obviously it was a huge, huge hand mm. in your success. And you just you did kind of touch on it a little bit, but briefly walk us through exactly his strategy to help you guys out because again, it's, it's a business strategy, but it's also, you have to work through the mental toughness. Oh yeah. I, I man, I'm not sure. I'll have to ask him. I'm getting drinks with him right after this. So <laughs> I'll have to ask him. I've said this to my husband a few times. If he knows how much he was, how, how big of a part. Yeah. From your perspective, what was it that he did to really help you out? Oh, uh, he had hope. That was it. Like he just, he, he felt so strongly that we could do it still. And I was like, I stopped us. I put us in a position where we could do it, but I mentally was like not where he was. How did you guys actually meet and become a team member? Because I know like a lot of founders, you know, struggle to find additional team members. And it sounds like you hit the damn jackpot. Lucky. It was all like, this was a luck thing. So he was not my original CTO. He was our advisor. And he was an advisor to the CEO who I brought on. (laughs) And he was like, I can be hands-on and helping. And I can, I get how all of this works. I can help guide it. And when my CTO, he had burnout and was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Jens is, is his name. He said, um, I can step up until we find someone new or whatever you want. So he always played like a partial, like a fractional CTO role. He just became someone who I leaned on so heavily during the entire time period. He's, he's like so smart, very experienced. He's older than I am. He's like at the, he has kids who are in high school. Like he's, he is in a different life stage. And he just, yeah, he, he saw you. He saw the, he saw your vision for vision. Yeah. And it was a trust thing. I mm. very much, he and I, from the beginning as an advisor, he became someone because uh, there are certain technical elements, no matter how um, much you understand it, such as like down to a language level. Like if you're like, okay, who's the person who'd be best suited for this role? What skill set do they need? So he actually came in more so in a position of just not only strategy, but helping me find the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, we talk about that a lot. On yeah, this. he made sure that the code yeah. what looked good. Um, they were meeting expectations. I was more of like, are they a culture fit? And he was more of a, can they actually do what they say they can do? Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, so he, it was pure luck. So like, we always think about like, uh, my original co-founder, his name was Michael. We were like, we always like, we're like, oh, that's too bad. That didn't work out. There really wasn't a way of foreseeing that he would have had like the burnout the way that he did. But if I hadn't had Michael, I wouldn't have gotten Jens. So it's one of those things that, um, yeah, that everything happens for a reason. It's always easier to say that looking back. Yeah. Yeah. It's justification, justification too. for you. Uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, he, um, uh, I'm very, extremely lucky to have him. There's a, that's a, again, another conversation. Mentorship alone is something I think our generation really craves and it looks more for that type of leadership. And sometimes it's not always, always there. So when you find that, that's awesome. 
Oh yeah. And I, it's, it's something that, um, it always takes a like pivotal moment for you to really understand how valuable that person is, which hopefully you'd like recognize it to an extent earlier on, but I definitely never imagined he would step up to the, the level that he did. Now we're just like cooking with gas. It's just like, it's really nice. Like, it's just, it's, a, I'm very lucky. So if this all works out and we like sell it for what we want to, I definitely, the acceptance oh. speech of that check is going to be like, you, you did this for us. <laughs> thank, thank you. So with that said, yeah. right? Like, okay. So you said that there was a partnership with Sherman Williams and a couple mm-hmm. others. When did that come into play? Because early, early. So was that mm-hmm. like brandery days or was that right after? And did, did your CTO have, oh, this was pre-brandery. How did that pan out? This was just me. Um, I told them the idea. I would just hustled using my sales stuff. And I said, this is the vision. I would love for you guys to be a part of it. Paint is a huge yeah. thing. Did you have an end to Sherman Williams, I imagine? Uh, no. I no. went went on LinkedIn, found a bunch of people, and I random emailed. Uh, unfortunately, Sherman Williams is a Old middle emails. name or middle initial really? association. So I had to go so through every single name and middle initial. Stalking. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. that oh, I'm a great in. stalker. Like, that's like... <laughs> That is something I am very good at. Might not want to put that on your resume. This is uh, fine. In sales, this is why people you're in sales, people like call it different things, but it is stalking. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I did. I just knocked on every door and Pantone was that one was crazier. I just like randomly was reached out to someone at Pantone and then the president of Pantone messaged me on LinkedIn wow. and said, Hey, I heard what you're doing. I would love to talk to you. Do you more. have any tips for cold outreaches? Yeah. Because I think a lot yeah. of people assume that you need a warm intro and you don't. No, I've, I've found out that warm intros aren't actually as helpful. There's like so many extra steps. Um, I thought that it would be, and it's, it's not two things are most important with cold outreach. Uh, your title is important. You can't just hire someone and just make them do it for you. Uh, what so was your title when you did that? Founder and CEO. So if you want to have You're someone like, yeah. who does it for you, give them access to your email and uh, yeah. or give them an email that's like your name and give them access to your LinkedIn yeah. uh, and have them be a ghost salesperson. Um, no one is going to sell as well as the founder. Like that's and that's how it should be, in my personal opinion. Hmm. But yeah, I it was pretty easy when I think if you're passionate about something and you really believe that it could work. And you have a thorough understanding of what that individual's, what is in it for them. Yeah, you are yeah. definitely you not to, the big so, dog on campus. Yeah. Yeah. And really what, um, I know what Pantone, what Pantone wanted insights. They are in the prediction business of uh, what colors are going to be next. Um, and I promised them, uh, if you partner with me and give me access to your colors, I will give you access to data. And Sherwin-Williams it wants to stick out. It was a marketing play for them but very little legwork on both of their efforts or on both of their sides. So that, that was the other thing was I was like, I'll do all of the legwork. I just need the permissions. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so how the hell did you become an expert on color? Advisors, uh, firstly, which, um, and then really uh, just by calling people, doing the work, researching. Um, so Color Solutions, Inter- color Solutions International is a local Charlotte company that really took us through the process of how color was created. And then my advisor's name is um, Josh Weisberg. He wrote four books on color management. Um, I, I just read about him in one of my research. Sorry if you can hear my dogs. They're so annoying. I read about them in my, in just color research and just randomly cold LinkedIn him. And he's still a good friend. And technically we're working with him at Lowe's too. Uh, so he's now the head of computer vision, I believe, or virtual reality at Zillow. Oh, um, so he has a background in home as well. Yeah. So that, uh, he helped me, um, Pantone, honestly, I just did a lot of research. I have like three different types of color readers. 
that I would figure out how are we reading color? What does it look like on screen? What are the comparisons between the two? Um, and I, I just gathered, gathered as much data as possible to, to understand the variance between them and, and went from there. So it was a lot of research <laughs> and that's it. It's not sexy. But that, that's what happens. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the times it's not sexy. And talk no. about why just color in general is so important in our homes. I think it's one of those untapped things that is involved in every single decision. And I, and I would just challenge people who are listening or challenge you next time you're on Pinterest. You're like, there are two elements that you're really, or three elements that you're really considering when you're looking at uh, a product that you like. Quality is an obvious one. Shape is the next. And lastly is color. And I think the thing that catches your eye the most, it's either the first thing you're thinking when you're looking for a product or it's the last thing that you're thinking about. But no matter what, when you're buying something, you are considering the color within it. Yeah. Um, and it is, a, it is one of the three factors that you're considering. And I believe it's the largest. If you already have brand loyalty to Pottery Barn, mm-hmm. let's say, like, you know, that, that checks your quality. Typically, they have a, a certain type of style that you're buying mm-hmm. into with that specific retailer. So the biggest thing that you're searching for would be color. Now, if you're already brand loyal to Pottery Barn, you, you have an understanding of price. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be like, obviously, the last factor. But whenever you're on a retailer's website, you have an understanding of the price range. If you're on Overstock.com versus Wayfair versus Pottery Barn, you mm-hmm. have an idea uh, mm-hmm. of where you're at. So color is usually the biggest factor and the thing that catches your eye first when you're considering products. Yeah. And it's one of those things you're not going to buy a neon yellow in your house next to your like taupe. Uh, so like you innately, you might not think about it, but you physically go when you're looking at something, huh, does that match? And like, you have to physically think about that as you're buying. Does this match what my color shades off? Yeah. yeah. And color there, you're the human eye can see 10 million colors. So it's wow. not one of those things that you can just say, okay, there are eight categories and you're good to go. You have to be able to say like, okay, and then name the color. Like when I said succulent green, do you really know what succulent green yeah, is? No, it's like no, it, a box of crayons. Like what exactly. Is so color, I don't know. It, exactly. It's one of those things that like you feel like, okay, I could literally verbally never describe to you what succulent green is. So you have to have some sort of component that enables you to be able to say, okay, if I have succulent green in my house and I want to get matching pillows, um, there you go. Vision helps with that. Interesting. Well, then yep. what is, so what is the future of vision. Yeah, now with the B2B version, for us, like we've had even conversations with Lowe's because they would like to have something like yeah. vision, which is nice. Like I already know the people, it's a easier sales process there. But it's starting with Shopify, expanding to smaller shops, and then going enterprise is the first thing with color search. We're l- looking into certain patents for certain components um, that I won't mention because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of challenges that come into fashion in particular. I mean, I'll just say like uh, they're usually with fashion, you have people within it, which, um, and people have their own Strong colors. opinions. <laughs> well, colors. Yeah, they're, they're all different shades. So we have different like patents that we're looking into for components along those lines. And then the ability to suggest um, is a big thing that we're looking into. So how mm. can we say like complete the look, the biggest factor of complete the look, because you already know in the data, style, price, and type. But color is the thing that ties things together. So making suggestions based off of colors and then being able to say, okay, what color palettes are working right now? Because color palettes currently versus color palettes even five years ago, they differ as far as what's popular and what are people looking at. I kind of want to take a little bit higher level view. So in your current role at Mm -hmm. Lowe's, you do, you know, in their innovation labs, you do strategic partnerships. So you obviously are working with other startups. Yep. What 
from your experience, are you applying in your current role at Lowe's? And, you know, what advice do you give to startups that want to work with bigger companies? It's so interesting, especially with like those deals that fell through for me at the end. And now being in the position that I am, it's, it's like now I'm the gatekeeper who I was trying to impress before. And it's, I have a, now a very um, 360 view of all of the parties involved, what it takes and what the conversations look like internally that I didn't have before. I will tell you that being a founder pretty much prepares you for any role afterwards. Mm. <laughs> uh, I think people, you could do project, project management, you can do uh, what, whatever you feel like your superpower is as a founder, you can apply it honestly to, to any role moving forward. It helps me now, a lot of the things that I look into now is I have a better understanding of where the founder's coming from, where they are specifically in their life stage, and then also how I might be able to help them if it's a no. So, and that's something that um, I just did just yesterday because my big initiative and and Patrick knows this is to elevate women um, and underestimated founders. So every single time, um, if we're too early or anything, I now have at my disposal, I can connect with literally anyone. Whereas as a founder, that was not a possibility Mm. Um, that like, if I want to reach out to Sequoia, I can do that and they will respond. Whereas as a founder, you're like, okay, who's going to give me that warm intro or or whatever the thing is. Uh, So now I'm in a position of, even the founders who I'm friends with, uh, I offer to them, like, if you need a contact, um, I will be that conduit for you. Because networking is the most important aspect, I think, of starting a company. It's also the hardest, especially during COVID. So that's the the founder I worked with yesterday. I said, um, just tell me what you need. I, connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah. If you see that there's a connection, I will connect you. What advice do you have to give to people on networking? Oof, on networking. It's hard. I guess for what, what I would say is uh, always say yes to a meeting, I guess, is mm. the, um, you'll never know who is going to be valuable to you later on. It might mm. not make sense at the forefront and come in with the assumption that you are, may not get anything out of it. And I think that that's yeah. a pretty typical like approach to networking, but it, you, I found the most valuable connections in the most random places. And I, although it's my schedule is really stacked right now, um, I never say no to someone. I always say yes. I always find a way to help, even if it's like, just like, hey, maybe we can't meet, but tell me what you need. And I will find, I'll put the pieces together for you and and try to make those connections. It comes back. It always comes back on, on the tail end. But yeah, at the beginning, it's just a lot of get your face out there, get as much as meet as many people as you possibly can. For me, I started my own like nonprofit while I was building my company to help underestimated founders called Collective Hustle. So I hosted the biggest pitch competition um, in the Charlotte region. Um, It was an investor symposium and pitch competition. I wouldn't recommend starting a nonprofit. <laughs> that's a whole lot again. That's a whole other business. What do you, so what do you think the biggest mistake is that founders make? I mean, now I have a way different lens now. They don't ask enough questions, I think, when mm. they're in. For me, um, a lot of them come in with a pre-described understanding of what they're going to present. And I'm sure that I made the same mistake. And they could have just asked, like, hey, what are your current pain points? Is there a fit right now currently for us? Has there been some sort of internal messaging that that says that we would be of interest to someone? Um, because honestly, like, it's great to have the connection. I say take the meeting no matter what, but come in with the right mindset that um, sometimes like for us, we're just exploring and we're trying to be- get a better understanding. We heard supply chain needs something or we heard that marketing is interested in this. My job is to say when marketing goes, hey, we're focusing on X, I can say I know six founders that can 
uh, so mm. help with that. But that means that your name might not come up for mm. years, <laughs> like yeah. or ever. So um, like I, I would say, like obviously, always take the meeting, but know that maybe uh, your time might be best spent not preparing this grandiose presentation for us. And it might be better spent asking questions to better understand what the process is for when the time is right. So would you say that's your advice for pitching as well? So when you're pitching to investors and to corp, you know, corporations, similar advice, ask more questions. Oh, I think definitely. And know that I think my biggest advice for investors would be look at them, see if they have any founder experience. If they don't um, take their advice with a grain of salt. Like, uh, like it's, I, I think take their mm. advice with a grain of salt in general is probably a good thing. And if you start seeing patterns, then listen, but mm. never like chase the light because someone said, oh, you should do this. I'll never go, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Cause no, they don't know your business as well as you do. Yeah. They never will. And they all think that they are the smartest people. So like yeah. if, if they have found, they do <laughs> like they just innately believe that they are so intelligent. And so, I mean, obviously I feel that way about myself. So where, then where, <laughs> so. then where, well, you have to, you have to have that confidence. And yeah. You have to have that passion, right? Because right. you, you need to believe in your own product. So where is that fine line then of, okay, you need to ask questions, but then you also need to be prepared. So what is that in your presentation that you should be giving? Commonality. To I would just say, just if you start asking questions, A, it's more about you get a better understanding of, are they a good fit for me? Because I think a lot of people go into uh, looking at investors thinking it's a one-sided relationship, although like the founder is doing all of the work, if you think about it, like, but the investor feels as though they're holier than now and higher up. And so do we, to an extent, at Lowe's, like, or with putting the Lowe's hat on. Obviously, we feel the, the same way, but we cannot accomplish what these startups can. There is this big, like, why is Lowe's not solving this color problem that I'm talking about? Why would they even look at vision for that. And it's because you look under the hood and it's a hot mess. They're yeah. dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, they'll never be the specialists that you will. If you were the only one focused on it. Lowe's is like their store. They need to right. get their, pro- their, lo- their logistics are different than your logistics. Yeah. And if you're focused, yeah. but if, if I'm a Sam Smith focused on just on color, trust me, uh, as, as Sam Smith and Lowe's, we are focused on a thousand things. And their color is like just a drop. Uh, yeah. compared to it's everything really else. Cool. Everything is a fire. And if you if everything's a fire, you're never fully focused. And that's how startups have this, this innate advantage mm-hmm. because of their focus on a specific topic. Really um, so funny. they do have power in this situation. Uh, but, but what I mean by asking questions is you can learn um, what someone's motive is. And if you don't understand what their motivation is to having the conversation with you, then you are at a huge disadvantage and you really didn't understand what the conversation was about. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happens way too often. Um, and I did it, I did it as well. Um, but once mm. you start asking questions, you can figure out in my pitch, what's not clear. How are people perceiving me? What did they take away from this? And it helps you introspectively better understand how you might be able to approach future meetings. And you will see commonality amongst yeah. what people are saying. Never take the first suggestion, but if you hear it multiple times, then obviously uh, it's something to start paying attention to. How important is personal perception? You know, I guess for uh, or self-awareness and also out, out and also outwards too, right? Yeah. Well, I pers- uh, I would say I'm a very self-aware individual. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think women uh, in general are a bit more self-aware or we're highly critical of ourselves, um, which 
puts us in a position. Oh, uh, I think both probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like there's, it's a power and a weakness. (laughs) Like everything is. It's always like having that unbridled confidence of men to just walk into a room and be like, of course you need me. So Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like for women, in my mind, here's the thing. I agree with you in the sense of we need more women in these founder CEO positions. Be And not to say that it's a bad thing that there's still a lot of men in the room, but it's getting women on board. And is this a confidence issue? Is this an education issue? Why aren't there more women from your perspective and where you're sitting? Why aren't there more women in your role? I, I have a specific answer for this because it's something I think about uh, constantly. Mm, uh, and it's because they, um, I give a football analogy. Just bear with me for a second. My dad always t- took me to football games from sixth grade all the way through till now we're still season ticket holders of the Washington football team. Um, So, but when I went into football, I never thought that, uh, or into the games, I never thought people would look at me and assume that I knew less just because I'm a woman or why, why is she there? Why is she interested in being there? My assumption was, okay, I'm there because I want to see the game. I want to do this with my dad now. And then I became passionate about it, but he was there. He never, ever judged me. I was able to go, what is uh, you ask questions. a safety? What, like, what is, yeah. yeah, what was that flag? What does that hand gesture mean? Like, what, why is it, why is he doing it that way? And I never felt judged. Then you age. And what's interesting about football is, is as the analogy, it's very similar for startup life. Then I had men going like, oh, but do you even know who the quarterback is? Um, or are you doing this for your husband? Is he the one who likes this? Or there was this like underwriting assumption that I wasn't there for me or that I knew less simply because I'm a woman. Uh, and I'll tell you, but it's true. Um, none of these men have ever played football. What literally, what makes you better than me? Like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, what yeah. makes you know more You're than me? You're not Tom Brady. No, down. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, just because you have a penis, all of a sudden, yeah. like you are a savant. And because I have a vagina, I could not understand the same things that you get. And unfortunately, that transcends. The reason why I felt comfortable being a founder is because someone brought me in. They get, let me mm. see everything. Yeah. They let me ask questions. They gave me an opportunity without judgment to say, this is how I would do it. And then they helped me fine tune. I, yeah. I got to see firsthand what it took to be a founder. And um, I thought, holy crap, I can do this. Women are not in those positions often, either because they don't ask or because they didn't know. And that's the same thing with investing. That's why there are not enough women who are investing is because they aren't around people Uh, to see like, hey, I shouldn't, maybe you should, instead of saving your money or being the person who's not, um, you feel like you can't be Is that because we're being pushed out? Or is it just an intimidation and and we're in our own heads and we're just being like, we're- mm. It's a a discomfort. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think, I I don't, maybe it is an intimidation might be the right word, but like you go into a room and you see all men and you're like, man, God, this is going to be an effort to prove that I deserve to be here. And that's so annoying. <laughs> like but just, also, are we are we also building that own perception in our head? That's no. a little bit of a devil's advocate, you know. No, mm-hmm. no, I don't think so. Like there, there is definitely sexism. I would not say all men are sexist, but there's yeah. definitely sexism. Who was the person that brought you in and made you feel that you could be a founder? Uh, so just to let you know, uh, I don't normally say it, but my dad is a founder. My uncles are found Aww. like I have three entrepreneurs in my, in my family. Aww. So my dad is definitely the reason I'm here today doing what I'm doing. He was also my football person, but when he was doing his company, I was the person putting stamps on the postcards for marketing. He did his pitches in front of us and practice. Like he, oh, so there's a big event called Finnovate. Yeah. yeah. And he, he got a pitch coach and then he would practice pitching in front of us. 
he, he was the person who, who enabled me to do this. It's such an interesting perspective because I agree with you in the sense of, it's almost like an ignorance a little bit going into that work situation for myself. I can compare and playing sports as a tennis player. Yep. I played with guys and girls growing up and I literally knew no different because I was at that same level until people point them out and say, you're going to be separate. That's fine. So you're rolling and learning. But then once you get into an environment, you start to see that evolution change as we get older. Oh, yeah. So then what is it that you want to tell people in that room that may not understand how they're how they're coming off in, oh, yeah. in that. I've even meeting. done this to the people at Lowe's. I hosted like a, with the labs, I hosted a how to give pitches. Apparently I'm really yeah. good at it. <laughs> which, <laughs> well, my well, how to give pitches and also how to receive them. Uh, but you, tr- you like, just try to sneak that, you try to sneak this stuff in. Like I point out, I always point out, because um, I deal with a lot of investors and founders currently. Yeah. And many of them, um, there are a few that don't recognize I'm in the virtual room. They won't say my name and they'll say everyone else's. I'm like, Hi. Like I say, I'm like, Hey, I'm here too. Just by the way, just wanted to make sure you knew that. Um, and I told the team, like, you should treat everyone like they're the CEO. Cause as soon as you walk out that door, it's not the person who's the CEO. It's the person who's the most annoying. That's going to say like, I didn't like that guy. And I can tell you five reasons why. Um, and you, I might not be the most important. Are you saying you're the most annoying person? Oh, I mean, I'm (laughs) saying that the person who's the most offended or the person who you might not expect to be the most vocal will be the person who changes the tide on if you get mm. your company through the door or if we work with you as an investor. And um, it has come up already, a bunch of sexist stuff that I always point out. And I go, um, no, this one founder came in and was like, I don't know if you've ever like been in a startup before. And I said, uh, let's pause right there. If you had taken the time to look up me on LinkedIn, you would know for a fact that I have and whatever you're going to say next, I've experienced it. So thank you, but continue. But let me tell you from that point, there's no fucking way I'm working with that person. So what can, being, being the only man on this call, what yeah. can <laughs> us men do, I guess, in order to, I guess, provide a better environment? Obviously not say stupid shit like For yeah. just said. Or do right? research. Yeah, there's <laughs> right. an assum- it was but, the assumption again. Like but, the what it, but like what in can we just do in general just to make it a better environment? I treat everyone like they're the CEO. Uh, that's like just sort of under everyone. You just do not know people who they are. Doesn't matter what they're dressed like, what their title is. I'm um, just assume that they have something to bring to the table. That's my number one. I sell it to everyone. Um, you're pitching everyone. You're not just pitching the one guy who you think is the most important. I would also say if it is not a topic, uh, if you let's say one of the things that came up was female and millennial startups, mm. um, and then all the guys in the room started pitching stuff. And um, they're like, oh, women, they had this, this color. They, they basically viewed gender as being like colorblind. Like, oh, well, women love technology just as much as men. Like, isn't it sexist of us to separate them? So let's just take our current initiatives and figure out the female lens. And I went, mm. no. I said, A, I literally gave myself a bruise because I went, I am a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, let me tell you, just some things. Like, stop assuming you know what we want. Firstly, like yeah. all the guys in the room, and they were very nice about it and receptive, but I told my husband, I gave myself a bruise by pointing at my chest. I was like, why aren't you asking me? What, like, just to start, like, that's a very small start. Yeah, but like, do let's you assume. get your period every month? I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> I rubbed the blood on my face. <laughs> like, like, I... I, I just cannot uh, come yeah. at me. Yeah, I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> um, 
But like, I don't assume what men do in certain situations. Yeah. Like, don't assume that you know. Like, it let's just start there as a base level. Literally questioning, question yep. people. That's and it's um active listening. Yeah, I think that's like obviously I'm not in your shoes, and here we go. I can't assume either of that. This is what your thought process is. Yeah, but for in my mind, I feel like men could do a better job asking questions, yep. asking questions, and actively. Listening. listening. That's the hard part. <laughs> That's, yeah. yeah. That's like, the hard part. You, but you're also asking questions out of genuine curiosity because oh, yeah. it's, you can't assume. Oh, that's my things. one, the thing I say the most and I'm trying to stop, I'm like, just out of curiosity. <laughs> like, I, I say, every time I ask a question, and someone on my team was like, if you're going to ask a question, we all assume you're being curious. And yeah. I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh my God. And okay, so yeah. with that said, what do you want to tell women? So Patrick mm. asked like, what is it that you want to tell men? What do you want to tell women to empower them to continue to move into that space and the best piece of advice that you can give them? Yeah, I, I would just say, um, man, get into tech, firstly. Like, don't yeah. assume. There are a lot of women who just assume they can't get into tech because they don't have experience in it. But I'm sorry, we all are in tech. If you're on a computer, yeah, you're in yeah. tech. Like, it's just start getting into tech jobs. Get uh, uncomfortable. Put yourself in situations. Um, speak up when people are being sexist. And, uh, like, literally mm. just showcase to them. There's way, there are methods of showing people um, what sexism is. But really, you, what are some of your methods? Oh, um, honestly, I am. I have such an expressive face <laughs> that my t- and I smile at people I like, and my team yeah. um, instantly knows when I'm on a call. I'll, I'll just like shut down. I'm like, and uh, yeah, I, I, mm. I, and afterwards, I messaged them all, and I was like, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And- How are people responding to typically when you're doing that? Oh, um, I mean, I don't know if it's because I've gained the respect of my peers. I don't know. I, I can't speak for all women in their mm-hmm. experience in bringing up sex situations. Yeah, but from um, your experience. But it's well yeah. received. I mean, I typically mock um, if I feel any type of bro culture happening, um, which and it happens because we're around all men. I usually point it out and I go, oh, should we get our burn book and like yeah. really talk about this more? Like, and I try to make a joke out of it. <laughs> Shut just slowly, up here. Slowly. I was like, oh, are we doing like a patriarchy thing? I can't tell. Like, uh-huh. and just and I'll joke about it. And um, usually through jokes, because um, these yep. guys are great. Um, I make mistakes. Like I like we all make mistakes. That's the so. other point too. Is like we're not also, and this is me speaking from my perspective. And, and I don't want to say for all women, but it's like we don't yeah. hate men. No, I love them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I am the ultimate bro. Yeah. And yeah, I, I and the guy, girl right there I with am, you. and the people I work with um, at Lowe's, they are. Amazing. I don't yeah. think I've ever been in such a great culture that's like, well, I've never really been like a big corporate, like corporate culture. Yeah. Um, but, but so let's be frank. Um, but they're like, just, just, just saying like that I can say this stuff and they're so receptive. That's obviously a sign that they're amazing people. Yeah. Um, I am not flawless. Mm. I make mistakes. I'm sure Patrick's followed me on Twitter. Like half of the shit I've said is a mistake. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what Twitter's like, for. I know. Like I'm, I'm trying my two best. Two years later than someone yeah. comes like, Probably shouldn't be drinking with half those tweets. And uh, I said Tuna Turner the other day when I meant to say Tina Turner. And I was like, Tuna Turner is an icon. And I went, oh, my God. My mom (laughs) called me and she goes, why did you call her Tuna Turner? And I I went, I was drinking while watching the documentary. Uh, So, um, so like, yeah, we all make make mistakes. Um, It's just just one of those things of actively listening. Obviously, as a white woman, there are definitely other people, too, who Mm -hmm. I need to listen to to do a better job at that. Like, there's... Yeah, no. I mean, ugh, reach, th- reach. we could go down a whole road. But yeah, it's listening, asking questions, uh, and not assuming. 
I guess is yeah. the biggest things. So I love this. I do want to kind of take us a different gear here and uh, talk about, since you're so involved in the ecosystem as a whole and helping, you know, underrepresented founders. So, you know, mm -hmm. women and minority founders, how do you, does the current like Charlotte startup culture compare to Cincinnati's culture? They are very similar. And the reason being, I think is, and you can correct me if you, obviously you guys have a better insight into the Cincinnati. I was only there for th uh, three months. Um, but, uh, neither of us have had a big exit. So you have, you don't have that flush with cash people, the, the big founder network. Um, our founder network I felt was better. We have proactive founders. We do founder lunches where we, we talk and work with each other to try to, to assist each other. I didn't get to, and that was my one feedback for the brandery too. was like, I was like, I would love to get your founder network and like get a better understanding of who you're talking to. And is there a founder's lunch? Is there something where we all get together for drinks or where, where is that? And, and that wasn't super present. When, when I, in Cincinnati, but you guys had a way, way better corporate setup. So like with, um, not startup Cincy, but what's, um, what's your centrifuge centrifuge. That's exactly what I was. Yeah. So there, I, I even showed Lowe's. I, I actually referenced Cincinnati all the time about how Lowe's can do a better job of coming in and assisting, um, startups. You guys had that great startup week too. Uh, and I love that your hub is, what's the building <laughs> that Brandery is in? Hall. Union, Union Hall. Hall. Yeah, like I, I came in. Yes, yeah. it's great. Like the whole thing. And then having Centrifuge there, like they're, an they're very intelligent. And then the startup map that you guys had, I was like, man, this is this is great. But yeah, there, uh, I thought the founder connectivity, and it could have just been that I was only there for a bit of time, could have been better. But that's where Charlotte, I think that's our probably only difference. So then follow-up question, what can Cincinnati you think could do better in the sense to enable, I guess, the better like founder culture. You kind of mentioned those lunches, but yeah. you know, any other thoughts that you've had, you know, yeah. since going back to Charlotte? Unfortunately, like if you've read like Brad Feld and how um, they view the ecosystem, there has to be someone, uh, a founder on the inside who takes the initiative and like, like I did in Charlotte and, and steps up and, and figures out a way to, to kind of connect the dots yeah. And unfortunately, like it's going to take some sort of big exit with like more investors in the field. But other than that, yeah, like that, it just has to be a founder who steps up and says like, hey, and you need different types of founders because things are, are siloed. Um, there are different types of founder groups uh, that yeah. I focus specifically on women and uh, underestimated founders. But there are other types like you have to have a fintech group and a health tech and a D2C group or whatever that really scratches a certain itch of when you run into a problem, there is an un a voice that you can speak to who can help you through some of the issues, but also make you realize that um, you're not dumb. Like everyone makes certain mistakes. Like we're all literally making the same mistakes just in different ways. <laughs> you just need someone to be like, oh, uh, you just need that, that moment of being like, that person went through it. I'm not stupid. Like this yeah. is a totally normal, it helps you realize that your experience is not that Unique. Creating the Which transparent that the conversation and the transparency among everyone, and that's also why. Mm. Um, and that's what we at Founders Lunch. We have a very Las Vegas style of what happens at Founders Lunch stays at Founders Lunch, so everyone can speak freely and people cry and people oh, like like the, everything comes through because if you're not vulnerable or mention your problems, you're not going to get help <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. not going to figure out um, who, how to honestly best tackle the solution. And founders are, yeah. uh, and you guys can disagree with me, but I think they're some of the smartest people, obviously courageous, but they, they think differently. And getting all those different voices in a room uh, is, was and is one of my favorite things. And we still do it during COVID, do Founders Lunch uh, virtually. With that said, this has been an awesome 
hour. Yes. I oh, am good. Like, I'm glad. fired up. Fired up. <laughs> Women. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> Pick things up and put them down. Ah! <laughs> I think I just found my new best friend, Patrick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I am here to support you. Yeah, I'm here to support you as well. <laughs> Oh God, and Patrick, I created, I'll support you too. I created a monster. <laughs> I'm coming to Charlotte. Let's do it. I want to be best friends with her. I, I knew you guys would be. I love her. She's amazing. She is truly amazing. And I forgot to ask her to sing a song because her name is Sam, Sam Smith. <laughs> we didn't make a joke about that. I was like, darn. <laughs> Don't hire Allie. We for missed your next that party. opportunity. <laughs> But you no, know, she is one of my favorite people, um, just in startups and in this industry in general, um, mm-hmm. because she really does make a conscious effort to be there for others, open up yeah. opportunities for underestimated, underrepresented founders, women, and you know minority founders, um, yeah. but also just to anyone who asks for it, uh, <laughs> which is I think what makes her special and then also what is more so needed in this industry in order to help open it up for others. Yeah. Even though she's like, Hey, don't start a nonprofit in the middle of also starting another business, but I'm sure it will come around for the better. And it's probably a lot to juggle and it will be moving forward. But I think it's awesome that she did that. And, and that push for building a greater founder network. Mm. Like you said, I just find it interesting. She's learned so much just by being a founder, right? She started off B to C, then she went B to B, and clearly two different. That got me confused at first, (laughs) so I'm glad we clarified that. But you know, I think the confusion happened because they're two totally different industries, and she recognized it. It's like they could be two totally separate, you know, businesses, and she knows that. But I think it's also taught her. Many different insights that, you know, an average, you know, innovation person in this industry doesn't know about. Yeah. And I think it's also the the biggest takeaway there is you might think, you know, again, ask questions, right? So ask a lot of questions, get a feel for the space that you're working in, have a vision of what you want. But again, be prepared to pivot and don't get down on yourself if you do have to pivot, you know, take that experience, the B2C, maybe that, yeah, that didn't work out, but that's okay. It still led her to the B2B. So yeah, you you can be hard on yourself, but know that you still were able to learn in that space that you were in prior. Uh, it, this is, I, you know, I was thinking when she was saying that story, you know, like the, you got a friend in me for her CTO, just because it's like, they wouldn't be, you know, yeah. relaunching on this B2B side of things with this, you know, you, you know, hindsight 2020. It's like, well, I duh, you sure. probably should have probably should have started with that, you know, like, but, yeah. you know, like it took them to get here. And, you know, the CTO was there the entire time, the one pushing, the one, you know, yeah. being hopeful that things can, you know, continue. And that's just a me- that's kind of just an overall arching message to everyone, whether you're looking to become a founder and specifically those who may already be founders and want to leave a mark and give back, mentorship is so big. And there's Mm. a lot of folks like Patrick, you and I, that we're still young and we're figuring in our our path, but we have a lot of passions and a lot of interest to potentially start something of our own. And we don't know it all and we're not going to know it all, but we want help and advice Mm -hmm. and taking the time to give back is we, you know, 
if and hopefully when that happens for us, being eternally grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go unnoticed, but we need more of those types of mentors in our world and in our lives in order for us to continue to grow and innovate as a society too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that, you know, Sam brought up, you know, Cincinnati doesn't have like a founders, like Mm-mm. only like network and maybe yeah, hopefully with different types of founders. Exactly. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you and I could maybe facilitate that at some point. Right. Like, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's where those mentors are going to be found. And, you know, I think she gave us some good insights of what we can be doing better as a city and as mm-hmm. a community. So I was really grateful for having her on. And with that said, Allie, I think it, I think it's time. It's time. Cheers. Prost. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.